Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This week we have a guest speaker, uh, Reverend Dr. David Chaka, is going to speak on the topic, If All Things Are Possible. Thank you. There it is. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> hey, God is good. All the time. So I want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to be here. We've had a weekend where we were together looking at how to hear the voice of Jesus and how to deal with the powers of darkness. And uh, Pastor RJ, we have bantered back and forth about what was supposed to be the topic of that weekend. We started off with healing prayer, which is a topic I love to teach on. And then, uh, and then Mary got up and she prophesied two weeks ago about, um, about the necessity of hearing the voice. And I, I do pre- I present on that too. So we tried to cover, I think, a lot of ground. It was like drinking water through a fire hose, and all God's people said. So it was a lot of information. But uh, I, I wanted to follow through, and we, we really landed on this that it is imperative for believers not only to hear the voice, but to understand the nature of the kingdom. And the nature of the kingdom is kingdom versus kingdom, power versus power, spirit versus spirit. And Jesus was an exorcist, and he teaches us how to deal with the powers of darkness. And so we're going to be talking about the text that you just heard read today with the demonized boy and Jesus' response. But to make it hang together, I want to share with you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 6. So hear the word of the Lord. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And here's the anchor text. Read, is it on the screen? We do. Let's read it together. I'm gonna look, make sure I got the same translation as you. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Thanks be to God for this reading from his holy word and to his name be praised and all God's people said. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be fixed upon you, Lord God Almighty. Let there be a download from heaven on every person who has heard this scripture today. Let the power of the Lord move. Lead us, guide us, teach us, instruct us, and let us taste and see that the Lord is good, even as we hear this word from the Bible, for we pray it in Jesus' mighty and precious name and all God's people said. So I've heard the saying, if it pleases you to please God, you can do as you please. (laughs) So it's an old Scottish proverb, but I kind of, I suspect the proverb came from some old Presbyterian looking at this text. Now, without faith, it is what? Oh, come on now. Without faith, it's what? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
I mean, you can try and you're not going to succeed. With, if you're trying to earn your way into glory, this text is telling you it's wasted effort. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You got to believe those two things or prayer is a useless endeavor. Now, we were on a journey this weekend. We were trying to pay attention to listen, to pay attention to the signals that God sends about how he speaks and to learn about how to deal with the powers of darkness and believe you, me, they are real. We used to live in a culture in which it was ordinary to believe that God is real, that there is evil and a devil, and they don't believe that anymore. But you, gotta, you can't tell me that everything that's in this world is good. You can't. You gotta tell me the war in Ukraine's evil. Would you tell me that? You gotta tell me that when someone gets wounded or hurt or raped or done violence to that that's evil and all God's people said. All kinds of evil in this world. So Pastor RJ and I were trying to land the plane on the topic of the day and dealing with the demonic came to the surface and that brought us to this text that we heard read today about an utterly demonized boy and a demoralized, worn down, beat down dad who did not know what he could do because he'd exhausted every avenue of healing. So he brought his son to Christ because he had heard other people testify. He had heard that there might be hope in this person called Jesus of Nazareth. And he brought him to Jesus. The Lord wasn't there. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the nine disciples had already had the authority of Jesus placed upon them to be able to cast out demons. It shows up in Mark chapter 6. They had come back to Christ. They had had success. They'd had victory. And they said, oh, no problem. Jesus is not here. We'll take care of this. Get out, and the demon said, I'm not, and the boy manifested, and it was ugly. And this dad who had his hopes raised, had his hopes dashed. You know, there's a proverb in the Old Testament, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Desire fulfilled as the tree of life is the second half of that proverb, but that's exactly what happened to that dad. He, He had brought the child, and I don't know what it would be like to transport a demonized boy on a wagon, taking it over hill and dale to bring to somebody and there were no transport trucks. There were no cars. And if he was lucky, he had, a, he had a mule. But if the kid manifested, that kid would have hit the ground. It would have been a terrible trip to get there. And he exhausted all of his resources. <laughs> and I'm sure the disciples were totally perplexed. Totally, completely perplexed. They had already passed Demonology 101. <laughs> they, they had done it. And so they didn't know what was going Why can't we do this? What, what's the problem? And so here's what happens. Everybody in town starts arguing together. Can you, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can imagine the scene. The disciples say, we can do it. And the demon says, no, you can't. And then all the town leaders and all the scribes and all the Pharisees showed up and said, no, you can't. And they said, yes, we can. Prove it, we can't. And this whole argument was going on. Jesus comes down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. They see the Lord and they run to him. They just run to him. <laughs> They're amazed by him. You know the rest of the story, but, but I, how many times did those disciples try? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Why did the locals get in the argument? Because they were trying to say Jesus was no good anyway, and now it's been proven, and they're arguing, and there's this demonized boy and a dad who's beat up. What a crazy picture. Just you know. So the dad has come to the end of his resources. Hope deferred has happened to him. He's smashed. Jesus arrives, and actually, if you look at the text of Mark, it says, they ran to him, and they were astonished. Was there an over, overlap of the power from the Mount of Transfiguration? I don't know, but they ran to him because they knew something was there. It was, and, and then this ugly thing happens. There was an ugly demonic presence. It made the lad deaf and mute. It gave him epileptic seizures. He foamed at the mouth, and actually, when he manifested, he was silent. He, he couldn't speak even in his epileptic seizures. What a 
terrible thing. And as soon as it saw the Lord, it hit the ground and writhed, rolling and foaming on the ground. And now bear in mind, Jesus is standing right there. They bring the boy to him. He hits the ground and writhes. And the Lord does not take immediate action. He looks at the dad and he starts asking the dad about how long this has been happening. And he finds out it's been afflicting this little boy since childhood. So if the kid was 12, that's 10 years. If the kid was six when it started, that's six years. We're talking about a year after year after year trouble with a man who does not know how to help his son. And he's crying out to God for mercy. He's obviously a Jewish believer. He doesn't get any answer. He brings the lad to Jesus and his answer is dashed. And he's broken and he's sad and he's tormented. So he brings him to the disciples and this ugly thing happens. Here's what the text says. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. He's often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And here's the key part of the passage. If you can do anything, take pity on us. If you can do anything, have mercy, help us. Well, the reply of the Lord, the reply of the Lord is, is the point of today's message. It's where we need to land for ordinary Christian living and in particular for dealing with the powers of darkness that come against us. Jesus said to him, if you can, <laughs> all things are possible to him who believes. Now he's saying that to a worn down, beat up, tired, afflicted man. I don't know if you've ever had a sick kid who's been sick for more than a week. Have you had one of those? And you don't know what to do and you're at your wit's end. You take them to the hospital and they can't help and the kid has to endure a virus or something. You just run out of juice. You have nothing left. This is years. Immediately, the boy's father said to him, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus, he, Jesus sees that he actually does believe. So, so what's faith? What's faith? I, I want to give the, the answer. It's from Canadian Olympic history. I lived in Alberta when this happened. It happened in Calgary in 1988. So it was kind of a neat thing. Uh, there had been skiers who had lost their eyesight, but they loved going down the mountainside and doing the slalom. Now, that's not my idea of a good time, is it yours? <laughs> but they had, I, I, don't, I cross country ski, but I've never done that fast thing down the mountain. I suspect that my life would be extinguished if I. <laughs> so, regardless of that, there's these slalom skiers. They, they knew how to ski, they knew how to do slalom, but they had lost their eyesight. And in the 1988 Winter Olympic Games in Calgary, Alberta, this actually happened. They put these uh, uh, unsighted skiers next to sighted skiers. And they on, on the flats, they taught them how to go left and right by listening to the command. And they had to get used to the voice of the person who was standing beside them. And, and the guy standing beside them would say, right, left, right, left. I had a good job when I left. You're right, right, left, right. That kind of thing. So they start yelling that kind of thing. And every time the blind skier heard the voice of his companion or her companion, he or she would obey the command within a second influence. Just, just do it right away. And then here's what they did. After they practiced on the flats and after the blind skier got used to the voice of the sighted skier who was their guide, they went down the hill following Nancy Green to get the gold medal. No, that's a, they, they, they went down the slalom hill and they actually succeeded going around the flags and going at what, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, going down. As they listened to the voice of the person who could see saying, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left. 
And they didn't say, oh, you missed it, that's too bad. <laughs> they, had to, they had to obey within a second of hearing, a microsecond of hearing the command, because if they did not, they would crash on the side of the mountain. See? So what, that's, do you think that's faith? They had to trust that the word of the sighted skier was reliable and was to be obeyed in a passing second. That's faith. Would you agree with me on that? That's faith. So there's no, this is actually the language of Hebrews 11, chapter one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things you can't see. Have you got the point here? So they obeyed the word even though they could not see and they experienced victory. So faith is the primary conviction for answered prayer. Faith is unquestioned conviction that what we cannot see is actually more profoundly real than the things that we can see, the things that we can taste and hear and smell and manage and so on. These things are real, but the unseen world is more real than the seen world. And what God wants us to do is to actually fix our gaze on the unseen world so that we can manage the landmines in the seen world and not hit the flag when we go down the slope. That's the point. And by the way, you're going to go for the ride of your life when you're going down a slalom, 70, 80, 90 mile an hour. Oh my, oh my, oh my. And all God's people said, don't send me there, please. Or maybe you want to go. Are you one of those thrill seekers? Who likes skiing here? Not a couple. It's four hands. Okay, well, put a blindfold on and have somebody yell at you. <laughs> so anyway, the point is just this. God is reality. All the rest is a passing fit. Have you got that? God is reality. All the rest is a passing fad. So Jesus says this to this beat down dad. And you gotta know, I, I, I have been on the side of not having anything left. Have you been there? When you have tried and you've acted in good faith and somebody's let you down or you got sick or some circumstance that you were counting on fell to pieces. And Jesus says to this man who has everything gone, all things are possible. All things are possible to those who believe. And he cries out and says, I believe. I, I came, I brought my child to you. I brought my child to the disciples. I believe, and they couldn't do it. Help my unbelief. And then Jesus sees that this man is broken, comes alongside him and gets it done. I'll just say this to you. <laughs> Have you been there? Nothing left? Yeah. Come to him anyway. You notice that he doesn't tell the dad off once he realizes the dad did believe. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't beat him down. He doesn't hurt him. So the study on Mark 9, when I was getting ready for this Sunday, it was a Thursday night when I was doing the final touches, I decided to do a word study on the word impossible because this word impossible shows up in this passage. There are nine places, nine in the New Testament, where the word impossible shows up. Now, one of them doesn't have bearing on what we're talking about. It would require a sermon unto itself but I'm gonna give you the other eight because they all focus us in on the principle of how faith can overcome. So the first reference of this is the story we have in front of us in Mark 9 with its parallel in Matthew 17. So you have this demonized boy, you have a father who is broken to pieces, you have the disciples who can't get it done. Jesus is ticked to the disciples, he helps the dad and he says nothing is impossible or all things are possible to the one who believes from Matthew 17. And then, in, oh, this, this one's kind of fun because it's a family memory. The next impossible is, is the story of the rich young ruler who, uh, who does not follow Jesus 
And then uh, Jesus uh, makes a statement about how hard it is for the rich person to get into the kingdom of God. So here's the personal connection. When I was a little boy, my dad was shafted by a wealthy man. And he, it hurt him, he suffered, he couldn't believe, he couldn't believe. And at 50 years of age, the risen Lord appeared to my dad and he got saved. And all God's people said, amen. He got saved. So anyway, he's starting to read the Bible. And I'm, I'm a believer and I walk into the house when he's reading the story of the rich man having to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, with this Jesus, he's cool. <laughs> oh, I like this statement. How hard it is for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And oh, by the way, it's smaller than your, your little pinky. <laughs> so, so he thought that was marvelous. And every time I read the story, I laugh. And then the, the apostles said, how can people get saved? And they said, with people, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Even the rich guy, even the stinking loser can win. It doesn't matter who you are. The next account is the Virgin Mary. And she is having the angelic appearance come to her. We just heard about it this December. The angel appears and says she's going to conceive and give birth to the Messiah. She says, I'm a virgin. How can this happen? She says, oh, you remember your relative Elizabeth? She's 66. She's pregnant. <laughs> she's, oh, she's past very. Can you, anybody here want a baby at 66? So... <laughs> And with man, all things, the angel says, nothing's impossible with God. Now, if you're 66 and look in the mirror, you'll say, I don't want that possibility. Anyway, <laughs> then we have Hebrews 6.18. And oh, I love this text. I'll tell you something. There are two things God can't do. He will not sin and he will not lie. Have you got that? And the Hebrews passage says it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. He can't do that. He must, he must keep his word. And the last one is the text that we have in front of us. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, let's put all those together. All of these statements about possibility and impossibility. Join them all together, and here's what it boils down to. God's level of faith in us is far higher than our level of faith in him. Have you got that? God's level of faith in us is far greater, far deeper, far more profound than our level of faith in him. And actually, he's, he's waiting right now. God's design and God's desire was to design us to desire him. That's the whole point of why we are created. That's how he made us. We are not dealing with God's reluctance to listen to our prayers. We are partnering with God's willingness to come alongside and fill us with himself. It is, there's nothing that's impossible with God, says Jesus to the man with a demonized boy who'd been dealing with powerful pain for years. You can overcome this, he says. Power of God. So, under that banner, when we know what God wants done, he's waiting for us. Now, I, I'm, just, I'm just, so do you want your prayers answered? Give me the, give me the answer. Yeah, be careful what you pray for. <laughs> he might just answer your prayer. If so, you're going to have to focus in on the conditions for answered prayer found in this amazing passage on faith and how faith works. The summary statement, we've heard it a few times now. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You have to believe he is. You have to believe that he rewards. You have to believe that God rewards. You don't have to believe that God needs to be begged. You have to believe that God rewards. God answers those whose lives reflect that truth. There is no such thing as a prayer of unbelief. And there is no such thing as a prayer 
that just does not focus in on what God wants done. The prayer of faith is the prayer that God loves and honors and he answers and that's all there is to it. I have a pet peeve. I said this in the morning service, nine o'clock service and somebody yelled it out and I wanted to get the lady on the platform to preach the rest of the sermon. Okay, so anyway, so here, there, I, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. Lots and lots and lots of prayer meetings. And most of them use phrases like this. They've said, Susie's in trouble, help her if it be your will. Got that? You heard that prayer before? Almost every, it doesn't matter what kind of Christian I'm talking to. It doesn't matter if I'm a Catholic or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Mennonite or a Pentecostal. They all, they all pray the same way. So I decided to do a Bible study on that phrase, if it be your will. And so I searched the word will in the New Testament and here's what I found. It's not used once. That phrase is not used once in the New Testament. The, and people refer to the Garden of Gethsemane and they say, oh God, I'm gonna get killed, don't kill me. <laughs> if it be your will, Jake. No, 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 that's not what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. A dead guy and one who never died, thousand years before, they show up because they're gonna tell him how he's gonna die. And they tell him how he's gonna die and what it's gonna do for the salvation of the world. And Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, I'm gonna die and it's gonna be awful. I'll save the world, but is there another way? That's what he says. When the Lord says this one's not possible, he embraces the will that he already knew. He already knew the will. Do you see the point here? Okay, and so Gethsemane cannot be used as an example of praying if it be your will because when we pray it, it's because we wanna give God an out in case he doesn't answer. See, in 1 John, there's another text that talks about, we know that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. It says that in 1 John. And people use that to say this, but if you look at the context, it's not what it means at all. The text is being used to say, when you know what the scripture says, when you're aware what God wants, you pray and you get the answer. That's what it says. There is not a single place in the entire New Testament where anybody says, if it be your will, except possibly once, where the leprous man comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. But that's not, Jesus was the intercessor and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. So do you see the point here? All the way through the New Testament, that kind of teaching that teaches us something that's, we're not, it sounds biblical, but it's not. We need to be rooted and grounded in the solid assurance that God himself exists and God himself rewards. That's the end of it. Answered prayer is the order of the day. We're not dealing with an unmoved mover or a, di a distant, unknowable God who doesn't want to pay attention to us and we have to scream and holler at him and beg him to get his attention. No, we believe in a God who entered into the human condition. He, he knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is not to have things. He was a refugee in Egypt and had to learn a foreign language in his early childhood. Then as a refugee, he comes back to the land that wasn't even his hometown. And he, he learned what it was to be a stranger in his own culture. We're talking about a God who suffered. And he enters into human suffering to bring redemption and relief. That's the God we serve. And that's the nature of the incarnation and all God's people said. So let's define what faith is. The most common definition of faith is the one you see in the dictionary. You know, there's the Christian faith, there's the Jewish faith, there's the Hindu faith, there's the Muslim faith. It refers to a body of thought, a way of relating, a way of believing, etc., a conviction. Society defines faith that way. The Bible does not. In the scriptures, 
Faith is believing and living for the intangible to overlap, invade, and transform the tangible world. That's faith. Faith is viewing reality from God's perspective by putting on the glasses that cause the world to be seen as it really is. So a few years ago, one of my buddies passed this little saying to me. I'm going to read this to you. This is, this is the thing he passed me. My faith in the mirror isn't wrinkled or drawn. My house isn't dirty. The cobwebs are gone. My garden looks lovely. So does my lawn. I think I might never put my glasses back on. <laughs> Without your glasses, your perspective is skewed. Without, you, know, you see the point. The world is skewed unless we take the eye of faith, place it on our visible eyes and see the world from God's perspective mediated by Jesus of Nazareth. When we put them on, we see reality as it really is. So also with faith. Without faith, it seems like the world spins on its own axis, that plants and trees grow in their own accord, that the universe has bo have both these things that we call good and evil. Neither one really matters because it doesn't matter. And without faith, our vision does not include the unseen world. But with faith, with faith, we know the world was created by God on high. He spoke and it came into existence. He spoke and life emerged from him and not merely from itself. And though evil exists in this present darkness, God himself is utterly, completely, totally good. And that he will bring himself to oversee our race and cause evil to, try, to, to die. He's going to kill it. It's going to be done. And death itself will die as God is the vanquisher of all things ugly and evil. He came to set us free. He came to bring deliverance. We put on the lens of faith. And suddenly the world comes into focus. Suddenly we discover that we can perceive reality as we really should. We discover the unseen world is the reality that determines what happens in the seen world. That the realm of God and Christ and spirit and angels and demons are in fact realities involved with the battle for the souls of men and women. We know this is what's going on and we're to live our lives on earth as if earth is a temporary phenomenon. And heaven is eternal. We're supposed to live as if heaven is to invade and overtake and destroy the things that are evil and supplanted with good. This is the way we are to live for that's what it means to be a Christ follower. We to live for there and not for here. For with the eye of faith, we see the things as God sees them. So Hebrews makes this clear. It says the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know what evolutionary theory would have you believe? It would have you believe that it just happened and that atoms were banging together and eventually produced order out of the chaos. All you got to do is look at my office and you know order does not come out of chaos. You just got to, <laughs> where's my wife? Say amen, Elizabeth. There she is back there. She's right there. It's Queen Elizabeth. I'm King David. That's how this works. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> so you got to know this. They're saying that if the hydrogen keeps banging together, eventually it produces life. Well, that's just hot air, helium bag. <laughs> it's, it's, you it, you got to believe in a designer. Whether you believe in the God of the universe as revealed in scripture or whether you don't, you know this. You can't put a pile of bricks on your front lawn and make that turn into a house by standing there and watching it. It's not going to happen. I love playing the piano. And I'll tell you something. The best pianos are the ones who have exquisite crafters who are making and aging the wood. 
and causing the wood to mature and then causing the cords to strike beautifully. Somebody has to manage the felts. Somebody has to manage the hammers. Somebody has to create the craft. You cannot bring a pile of wood and cords and say, become a piano. It's not gonna happen. You have no choice except to believe that there is a designer. So I don't understand. I believe it's unscientific to believe that this came out of nothing, that, that order came out of chaos. It defies the law of entropy, the law of thermodynamics. Regardless of that, the eye of faith says that God did this. And Hebrews makes it clear. God spoke and it happened. In fact, I'll just say this to you about the doctrine of the word. When God speaks, things always happen. Always. And so Jesus is called the word. Why? He's God in action. Isn't that amazing? Now I'll just say something to you. When I speak, sometimes things happen. Sometimes they don't. My wife said, take the garbage out, dear. I said, yes, dear. And it didn't happen. <laughs> Here's the point. You and I can do this. We can say things and not keep our word. Isn't that true? For whatever reason, maybe you're tired, maybe you can't get to it, maybe you lied, I don't know what the issue is. But God can't do that. It is impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. Whenever God speaks, it happens. The word is God's action. That's how it works, and Hebrews makes this clear. All we do is move things around what's already created. When God created, he spoke something, and it came out of nothing. Maybe you've heard the story of about a hundred group, a group of 100 esteemed scientists who were gathered at an international convention to discuss the idea of throwing God out of the value system. They felt that the whole notion of a deity who intervened was outdated since they could now do just about anything, clone sheep, manufacture machines that fly, develop pharmaceuticals and chemicals and do miracle cures. And as they were speaking, the majesty and the glory of God Almighty showed up in the room and rather than bow down, they looked at him and said, oh, hello, God. We have decided that your services are no longer required since you are now redundant. Hearing this, the Lord God Almighty challenged them to a contest. A contest, they said, what kind? Well, let's see who can make the best human. I will make a human and you make a human. Let's see who does the best work. Good challenge, said the scientists. They started to gather dirt to shape that into a human being. And God said, stop. I said, why are you telling us to stop? We're doing exactly what you said. He said, no, there's only one problem. Uh, you're using the dirt I made. You got to make your own dirt. <laughs> the story's made up. <laughs> But Hebrews tells us the fundamental reality of faith is that the invisible made the visible. Have you got that? That's the whole notion of the book. God made everything from nothing. And the center of biblical faith is that everything arises from God's word and nothing else. He speaks, it comes into existence. True faith has at its starting point that the unseen world shapes and creates the seen world, that the only true reality that matters in the end is the reality of who God is because God speaks and reality occurs. To believe then is to believe in the power of the word. That's what it is. We cannot see words, but we know their effect. So when God speaks to us or God speaks through us or God speaks for us or in the awful scenario where God speaks against us, Reality is fundamentally altered with every utterance from the mouth of the divine. And faith begins with the assertion that the unseen world is the only world that endures. And that God mandates to us from his world that we tap into and latch onto and participate in the powers of the next age, not this one. 
So our God is described as the God of the reward. This is the part of the equation that speaks to prayer. And this is the part that that, that beat down dad in that Mark passage was, was trying to access. He actually did try to access it. He brought his demonized son to the Lord Jesus. That's what he did. And uh, there's, a, there's a statement where hope is defined. I think this is a beautiful statement. It's an acrostic based on the word hope. Holding on, praying expectantly. You're in the middle of trouble, hold on. You're in the middle of trouble, pray. You're in the middle of trouble, expect God's reward. Expect. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards. If you don't, I know lots of Christians who believe he exists. They struggle with the notion that God rewards. Why? Just like that dad. Beat down because he doesn't know how to help his son. Just like that son who doesn't even know how to speak because he's been afflicted by something that didn't come from him. It's, there's all kinds of people who want to believe and they don't know how to break through to get there. So three examples are given to us in the account from Hebrews that I read to you. The creation of the world, the stories of Adam and Eve and the godly life, or Abel and Cain rather, and the godly life of Enoch, only one of two to bypass death by faith, the other being Elijah. Then we come to this amazing text that's been the food of many a soul forever. You need to put this on your refrigerator or on the mirror in your bathroom, and you need to read it every day. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards. It's impossible to please God any other way. So true faith does not say, I won't ask, it's impolite. I was raised that way. You don't ask because, you know, that's just, it's just not done. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you kind of back off and then you bring your background to the faith and, and you, your background infects the way that you believe. Other people say, I, I'm just going to accept things the way they are. I'm sorry. The world is not as it should be. And all God's people said. So, I mean, there are moments where you're, you're, you're told you cannot do something. Well, that happens one time out of 10. Nine times out of 10, the Lord wants us to resist evil in all its forms. Resist it and fight it and replace it with the goodness and the glory of God. In fact, if you read the biblical accounts, there's not one time, not one time where the, where the victory of faith shows up because somebody says, I'm just going to accept things are the way they are. They don't do that. They don't do it. They say true faith is the kind that is not satisfied with the way things are on earth and invokes the intervention of heaven to alter the affairs of earth because of the power of Jesus. That's what they do. There's, and there's only two conditions, only two. Here they are, the belief that God exists and the belief that God rewards. So I'm gonna walk you through some scripture and I'm gonna say God exists and I want you to say God rewards. Let's try it. God exists. God try it again. God exists. God do it better than that. God exists. That's it. So laying hold of the promises is to insist that the word of the Lord is true, to stand on it, to declare it, and to accomplish the things that stand in his purposes. Sometimes it is to argue and even plead with the Lord to take our intolerable situation and turn it around because God is the God of the reward because God exists. Oh, you got to catch it a little faster. God exists. That's it. True prayer is prayer rooted in the conviction that God is able and ready to transform the world through the heartfelt conviction of the Lord's people as they cry out to him in anguish. The prayers that made it into the Bible were the bold ones that demanded a reward. They did not wait until times were convenient. They demanded action in the inconvenient time. They believed one thing, God exists. 
That's what they believed. It was, the time wasn't right for Simon Peter to walk on the water. What kind of an idiotic prayer is that? Command me to walk on water, Jesus of Nazareth. The waves are already nine feet high. He'd been fighting that storm for five or six hours, yet he believed that Jesus would answer his prayer so that he could walk in Jesus' victory. He asked Jesus, would you let me walk on the water? And Jesus said, come. And he actually managed to walk on the water as long as he looked down Jesus because God exists. That's it. It was not right for Abraham to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. I would not have prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. But he does. Why? Because his nephew Lot was sitting in the town together with his wife and his two daughters. This, he had family in that city. Abraham believed that God would reward if he diligently asked. And so we have an amazing picture in Genesis 18 of Abraham in the presence of two angels and God himself. And he goes to the edge of the cliff and he looks down and sees the broken, fallen, horrible depravity of that city. And he says, is there 50 there? Maybe there's 40 there. Maybe there's 30. What happens if we lack five? And he talks to the God of the universe about sparing a moral disaster. He believed because God exists. And he got the answer to his prayer. God took Lot and his wife and the two daughters outside the city. He, he got his answer. The time wasn't right for Israel's enemy, Nineveh. It wasn't right for Nineveh to argue or to plead with the Lord to be spared because they had ravaged Israel. They were enemies of Israel. Can you imagine getting the assignment? It would be like Zelensky being forced to pray for Putin. So this, you, know, you got this crazy thing going on. You got Jonah who doesn't want to go. Why doesn't he want to go? He doesn't want to go because they're his enemies. They have ravaged his village. They have killed his cousin. And God says, you're going to go and tell Nineveh. <laughs> he said, I'm not going. And it's a fish tail. And I think the fish was a red herring. Anyway, moving on. It, <laughs> he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Is there any hope in that statement? None. But the king of Nineveh knew that if God sent a prophet from the enemy to warn us, there must be something going on here. And he, if God sends a prophet from his enemy to come, the king of Nineveh called for the nation to fast and pray. And then he heard the prayer of the city of Nineveh and Nineveh was spared because God exists. The time was not right for Hezekiah, king of Judah, extra, extra life. The Lord raised up one of the big guys. 66 chapters of your Bible are written by Isaiah. He's commanded Isaiah to go and say to Hezekiah, you're dead, you're toast, put your will in order, you're gonna die, it's over, it's kaputski, 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 it's done. Hezekiah looks at the wall, he cries out to God and he says, oh God, remember what I've done. Remember how I've served your people. Remember how I've taught your word. And Isaiah the prophet is walking away and the Holy Spirit downloads on the great prophet. He turns around and says, go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Go back and tell him. I added 15 years to his life. It wasn't convenient. In fact, the word of the Lord was contrary to what he had hoped. He heard Isaiah say it and God had mercy because God exists. So to be, I can go through the whole scripture this way. Whole scripture, start to finish. You can do this on your own. Go home and find a Bible character. Make up a bunch of words and say God exists and God rewards. It's there all the way through the pages of the Bible. All the way. Do you believe in a God who exists and a God who rewards? Do you believe that? Oh, you know what? 
you may be like that dad. There have been seasons in my life I didn't know how to pray. That true for you too? That what you hoped for didn't happen. And you felt called of God to do a hard thing. You're faithful and you suffered. And maybe you're like that dad. You believe in God and you've seen his reward and it didn't come this one time. I'm to say to you that God exists and God rewards. I'm to say that to you. And when you do not have the ability to believe and you're in the same position as that father with the demonized boy, after years of trouble, years and years of sick son who can't even speak to tell you what's wrong with him, years of that, Jesus took over. So we're to live that place. We're to live in that place. Let's stand to our feet. I wanna, I wanna pray because I think it's important. I know this. I, I'm feeling my bones. I've lived at that address and I've come through the other side. There have been seasons in my life where I want to just throw up, give up the towel, just say it's over. Even though I've, ta- I've tasted the power of Jesus over and over and over again. I told you two weeks ago how I got saved. I watched a demon fly out of my body. My wife was healed of muscular dystrophy. So was my son. I mean, as we're talking major. And then somebody lets you down and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. And you don't know how you can believe again, even though you've tasted the power. I want to pray that the Lord would heal you. Have you got that? I want to pray the Lord would heal you and bring you to a place where your wounded faith becomes whole faith again. Can I pray that for you? I'm just going to raise my hands up. We're going to pray that. Jesus, I, I, I'm aware we could do an altar call. But I think this is bigger than just the people who are going to come to the altar. There's, there's shy people here. There's people here who are afraid to come to the front because they don't think they're good enough. And they're weary and they're tired and they're worn out and they're broken and they're empty. and they're, They've cried out to you and they haven't seen the answer. And they need to. I don't want to ever say to somebody who hasn't seen an answer, I don't want to give them a pat answer. I just want to give them the God of the reward. I want to say to them that the Lord is faithful even when we're not. Father, you, you spared Lot and you saved Nineveh God Almighty, if you can do that, you can work in my life and you can work in the life of anybody. Would you have mercy? Would you have grace? Say this after me. Lord Jesus, you're the God of the reward. God exists. God rewards. Teach us to embrace that. And when we are broken and when we have nothing left and when we're empty and when we're tired, And when others let us down, and when we're hurting, and when we're disease-filled, and we haven't got the strength, teach us that you will intervene. Let us cry out to you in Jesus' name. Pastor RJ, come on up and close out the service for us. I'm not sure how you want to respond. Uh, Mary, you're supposed to come too. Come on up. Come on up. Would you give a round of applause to these two people? God exists. God rewards. And God rewards. And he sees. And your church is to grow. And your family is to grow. And your heart is to grow. 
And I, since Thursday, I have not been able to stop praying that your heart will grow, that your family will grow, that your church will grow. Jesus, I have been here a short season and I've already learned to respect and trust and love these people. Doesn't take long. And as I've been praying, it's been sent, since Thursday night, I, I had to change my sermon. I had to change it. I was just gonna preach on Mark and you told me to go with this Hebrews passage about reward. And so Father, I would pray in Jesus' mighty and precious name. They know God exists. They know God rewards. Would you heal everything broken? Everything. Everything broken. And would you restore? And more than that, would you go better? There's no such thing as a plan B. There's a plan A and there's a plan A plus and a plan A plus plus. Bring them into exquisite delight as you send the plan A plus 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 to them for the redemption of this city, for the redemption of our nation, for the glory of God across the nations of the earth. Bless these two as they do their work, for we ask it in Jesus' name, because God exists and God rewards. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. As we come to the table today, We're reminded that in every circumstance, in every situation, we serve a God who's right there with you. And sometimes you're praying in faith. You're not seeing the movement that you like. You're not seeing the answer you want. Your healing seems like it's just a step away. And there's a struggle. But stay strong in faith today. God's with you in the struggle. He's with you in the season that you're in. And whether you're blindly cruising down the mountain at 100 miles an hour, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, trying to keep up, <laughs> or whether you're in the struggle, Let me just interject right there. You just said that, and God just like, wow. You know, in the, uh, you remember the story in the New Testament where Jacob, he's wrestling with God. And he's wrestling, and he's wrestling with God. And he said, and, and God said, like, get, like, let go. Get off of me. And Jacob said to the Lord, I will not let go until you bless me. And I feel like today that is the kind of, of grip, of tenacity, of perseverance, of, you know, when we're in the struggle and when we are waiting and waiting and we feel like, God, how much longer I have been waiting. I have tried. I'm at the end of my strength. It's like trying to get blood from a stone. I have no more left, Lord. You have to help me in my unbelief. But here's the thing is, First, you have to address, what do you believe for God to help you? Do you believe that this is from the Lord? Because he's not gonna help you believe that untruth. Do you understand? If you're rooted in the belief that the, the bad, the horrible things that have happened to you are from God, he's not gonna help you perpetuate that belief. 
So address what you believe first. If you believe in the Lord God and that all good, amazing, wonderful things come from Him. And there's too much to go into about like what is good and what God defines as good because it's not what we think is good. But for the Lord to help you in your unbelief, look at what you believe so that He can help you to believe and breathe life into you when you are struggling and when you are trying to hang on desperately. But don't let go. Continue and say out of your mouth, Jesus, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Don't release him. Amen. Fathers, we have the bread in the hand today as we come to the table. Our covenant meal, new creations we are. Lord, I realize and understand and I see in your word that you went to the cross and you took stripes on your back for our healing in our bodies. And I declare health, life, wholeness, and I rebuke sickness, disease, and spirits of infirmity off of your people today. Amen. And we, your united church, in unity and oneness, stand in your presence and receive healing. Restore the mind of your people and the health of your people today, God, in Jesus' name. And as we have the cup, the blood of the new covenant, Jesus, your blood is powerful. You spilled it for our forgiveness to free us from the curse, from hell's grip, from poverty and lack. You made a way for us, you built a bridge. So Lord, as your people today, by faith we access forgiveness we access relationship with you. We access freedom from poverty and lack. We access the provision that you have made for us. But as you've made provision for us, Lord, we take the message of hope that you've placed within us and help us to go and build bridges to this lost and dying world that we live in. Put a love and a compassion for the lost in the hearts of every man and woman in here that we could not rest till we share the hope within us with others. In Jesus' name. So as Norman and Dean come before they do the benediction, I just wanna encourage you Windsor Christian Fellowship and challenge you. The Bible talks about the laborers worthy of their hire. Pastor David, he ministered today. You can sow into his ministry. There's a guest speaker tab on the app. You can e-transfer with his name there, our guest speaker. You can put envelopes in or you can give at the info center. I encourage you as you are, be generous and be a blessing and let your seed be multiplied in faith. 
In Jesus' name. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I am Norm. This is my wife, Nadine. And who here this morning is, has found his joy and his peace and his grace and his favor upon you this morning? Are you operating in that? I'd like to thank Reverend Dr. David, uh, first of all, for the, this morning's wonderful message, but uh, as well yesterday. Many of us uh, yesterday were blessed by the workshop, and it was uh, very exciting to see so many come out for the teaching. And uh, you would have to all agree that in this church, in this month, in 2023, we're starting to feel a change. Who can feel a movement in our church? And we pray for belief that 2023 is going to be a, a moment of unity, uh, a, a, a moment where our church becomes on fire for its real unified mission. And it's going to be uh, a church that shines his light everywhere where we walk in this year. Amen? We want to encourage all of you as you leave here today, share scripture with you, Roman 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it may abound in hope. So we encourage you and we pray for you that your faith and your, as we were talking today this morning about faith, or this afternoon about faith and belief in God, that even when you're going through those difficult times will bring you peace and joy, peace beyond your understanding. And as you go out there to share the gospel, knowing with that peace and that joy, God is going to, as you seek his kingdom first, he's going to take care of those things in your life that may be distracting you or, or holding you, may, maybe holding you down. And when others see that joy and that peace in you, it's going to open up the door and the opportunity for you be, to be able to share the gospel and who Christ is. So... Let us end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your immeasurable grace and love upon our lives. We pray that we seek your voice and counsel and not rely on our own understandings. We pray as we leave today that we increase in obedience and submission to your voice and not be influenced by our fear or discomfort. We pray that our lives will be an ongoing testimony of your glory and your victories through us. We ask for continued blessing over our WCF family and community. And in your mighty name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now go.